Sales win rates have plummeted to a mere 17%, and outdated technology and tedious manual processes are to blame. Meanwhile, managers lack the visibility they need to hold their teams accountable. But imagine a world in which these crippling issues are solved automatically. Revenue.io automates the most frustrating parts of sales so reps can focus on what they do best, selling. Completely automate pre-call research, logging conversation data in your CRM, writing post-conversation recap emails, and prioritized outreach. And as reps book more meetings and close more deals, managers gain the real-time insight they need to scale what's working across their entire team. Ready to say goodbye to tedious sales processes and watch your win rate soar? Head over to Revenue.io to learn more. It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello and welcome to the show. Today I couldn't be more excited to talk with my guest. Joining me is Alice Hyman, sales coach, speaker, consultant, expert on helping salespeople and businesses become more effective at their sales. And she has a new book coming out this January to help small businesses take their sales and their business to the next level. Alice, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, good. Well, thanks for joining me. I want to Talk about prospect and business development. Before we do that, though, introduce yourself. Tell us how you got started in sales. Oh, my gosh. I think I was born selling, or at least my parents will probably tell you that. Well, you have an interesting family background related to sales. I do indeed. Um, my dad is Steve Hyman, who founded Miller Hyman with Bob Miller. And so I definitely have some sales in my blood but uh, my dad is al- my dad is always sold, you know. So when I was a little girl, he was selling. But I think you know some of us really just have, have that more sales entrepreneurial type of personality. So I've always been a starter of things. I've always been a leader of things. I've always been able to draw people to me and help them get done what they want to get done. And I think that's what selling really is. I just want to help people accomplish their goals. And so I'm really good at that, and I love doing it. Uh, I did work for my dad's company for a number of years and then went out on my own in 1997 and have been working with smaller business owners, closely held companies, companies that are starting up and really trying to get exponential growth and and get to their next level. And I really enjoy doing that. So... What's the first thing you work with with companies when you engage with them? Or they engage you to come on and help them grow their sales? Well, it really depends. And, of course, you knew I was going to say that. It really depends what they need. I always like these smaller companies to have a strategy, and they usually don't. In fact, many times they don't even have a strategic plan, and they may be a 10 or $50 million company without a real plan. And somehow, magically, they've gotten where they are, which is awesome. A lot of that entrepreneurial enthusiasm can carry them to that level. But now they either want to make a change or do, you know, have some exponential growth. Maybe they want to start hiring salespeople, things like that. But typically, regardless of what they need to do long term, I try to get their sales ramped up right away. That way they have more cash flow. And that way, of course, they don't have to worry about how they're going to pay me because they have money flowing in the door. First things first. Let's make sure there's money for the consultant. 
So uh, what I try to do is take a look at what sales they have and what would be the easiest way for them to increase their sales immediately. And many times that is simply going back to their existing customer base, making sure those customers are satisfied developing them into more loyal customers and asking them for referrals. And when I say referral, I don't just mean, hey, here's a name and a phone number. I mean an actual introduction. I get them to make their customers into walking advertisements for them so that they're top of mind and being thought of when people are asking and you know they're really giving them good, strong introductions. So that's the first thing I'll usually go after. What are your sales now and how can we increase them quickly? Let's go back to your existing customer base. And then while we're there, if they're happy, you know, they're going to buy more and they're going to give you a referral, a, an introduction. So I jump in there first and get that going. And then I say, now let's start to look at your strategy. What, are, what do you want to do? What were you planning on doing? How are you doing it? What's working? What's not working? And then we start to determine what needs to happen next. And it's different for every company. Sometimes it's product development. Sometimes it's in different marketplace. Sometimes they need to learn how to generate leads. A lot of these smaller companies under $100 million don't have a good marketing machine in place. So they don't have leads coming in. They have no inbound. And they just have a lot of cold calling and things like that going on. So I try to help them figure out some ways that they can add value in the marketplace, elevate their status as experts, and get some inbound stuff coming in, or at least make it easier on the outbound efforts. So what do you see as sort of the ideal mix if you're a small company between inbound leads and those that you develop through a proactive prospecting program? Yeah, ideal mix. Wow. I guess that would be different for every company and it depends on the price point of what they're selling and how big they want to grow because you can, you know, outbound work is what it is. You can only do so much, much of it. There's only so many hours in the day. If you get that inbound machine working, just makes life so much easier. So, you know, I guess it just depends. Wouldn't it be great if all of our leads are inbound? I, you know, well, <laughs> Uh, that's a, that's a great question, right? Is that an ideal world? Is that the ideal situation for for a company? I mean, I, I've been speaking with you know lots of guests that would say on prospecting that, gosh, you can never get away from you know proactive outbound prospecting because you know, you just don't know when the funnel or the not the funnel, but you just don't know when the the flow of inbound leads is going to stop for whatever reason. Yes. So if that's you're completely right. dependent on inbound and you're not have a good process for proactive outbound prospecting, you're really potentially in bad shape. I can agree with that 100%. So I want to have a lot of inbound leads, but I'll never stop doing outbound work as well. But I'd like the majority of the outbound work to be, again, introductions to people versus cold calling or you know, using other ways to get to know people versus just cold calling. But there does need to be a balance. And I think you know, there's a certain amount of cold calling in some industries that has to be there because of the amount of leads that are needed, the amount of sales that are needed. So every company, I think, is going to have a different balance. The other issue is whether the inbound quality is high or not. So I can drive a lot of traffic, but is it of a quality that is going to convert? You know, is it an ideal prospect that I'm driving inbound to me? So I need a different amount of inbound traffic depending on how qualified that traffic is when I get it. So I think for every company, there's going to be a different balance, but there has to be a little bit of everything. Has to be a little bit of outbound work that maybe sort of 
cold. There has to be a lot of work with getting referrals and introductions. And then there needs to be good lead generation to get some stuff coming inbound as well. And what's the process then you recommend for people to follow up? When then, you know, they've got inbound, and one of the things that I see is the big failing on so many companies is, yeah, they spend a lot of money investing on generating inbound leads, and then the follow-up is just horrible, right? Or non-existent. And if it does exist, it's horrible. So how do you work with companies in that arena? Yeah, follow-up. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's just, it like, horrible is the right word. I, I don't even know what to say about it. I think it comes from lack of organization, lack of understanding exactly what to do, lack of understanding what follow-up is. So it doesn't matter how I get the lead. If I just call up and start selling, things are going to go downhill pretty fast because people don't want to be sold to, especially in this day and age. They want to buy. They want you to help them through the buyer journey, as a lot of people call it. So what do you do for follow-up? Well, I always recommend that we have a process to follow up and that it starts with adding value and asking questions and listening. And a lot of research has to happen in order to do that. So if I get a lead, wherever it came from, the first thing I have them do is sit down and research. What can you find out about this company, the people in the company, the person you're going to be talking to, the people you're going to be talking to? What can you learn from the messaging they send out on social media, their email newsletters, from Google alerts, different things that come up about the company? What can you learn and know? In a very short period of time, maybe 15 minutes or so, you can learn a lot about a company if you know how to do the research properly. And even asking around, it doesn't all have to be internet research. You can ask around to people who know that industry and get a lot of information. So before I actually talk to you, the person who's interested, I already know a lot about you. And I may even send an email that says, you know, I I was researching and I learned a couple of things that I feel are very interesting. I'd like to talk to you about these. Here's a few things I'd like you to think about to prepare for our conversation. So, you know, I've got this lead. They're expecting me to call. You know, I've been introduced properly. All the best of circumstances, I can still ruin that if I don't prepare properly. So I do spend a lot of time teaching my clients how to do effective call planning. And that starts with the research piece. Mm -hmm. Well, I thought it was an interesting point you made, too, about giving them something to think about in advance of you calling. If you've got a You've got their attention, assuming this is you know, an assumption here that you've got their attention. Maybe it was a referral that you were introduced to, so they're going to be reading your email. And you give them something to, I said, one or two questions to ponder prior to your conversation. Right, exactly. So then their mindset can shift and be ready for that conversation. And of course, the questions that I've asked them are based on my research. So they're like, wow, this person actually knows something about my company, and they're thinking about me. They're not saying, well, when we get on the phone, I'm going to tell you about my products and service. Click this link and watch this video first. No, we're not doing that. It's all about them. Now, if you don't have a qualified lead, somebody who said I'm interested that you have an appointment with, you're following up, let's say, from a trade show or some list, or maybe you did a speaking engagement. And these people didn't really raise their hand other than actually being there, right? Mm -hmm. Name on a list. Right? Their name is on the list. But they had some interest because they were there. All right, that's cool. So what do you do for them? 
Well, you don't have an appointment. You're trying to get an appointment. So you, again, have to do some research and send them something that adds value that, and then said, you know, I'd like to discuss this further with you. So I, I learned about you and here's a little bit what I know about you. And based on that, I found this article or video. It's nothing selling what I have. It's something that will be of interest to you. I'd love to have the opportunity to talk with you about it. When, when is a good time? And you know, I always recommend, like most good sales consultants will, that you give them a few times, you know, that you could talk. So here's some information I know about you. Here's something I thought you found interesting. Let's meet. Here's a few times to meet. Now, that may work. It may not. People are busy. That might go to spam. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, as we know from all the research, you've got to do that three, four, five, six, eight, 12 times sometimes to get somebody to actually take an appointment with you. So if you have to have that many touches, you can't just keep sending the same thing over and over again. So follow-up has to be planned out very carefully. And I say, do it before the event. So let's say you're going to do a speaking event. You're going to get all the names of the people who attended. Before you go to speak, what is your follow-up plan? What will you send? What will it say? How often will you send something? If you've got to have 12 touches planned ahead, you know, maybe some people will answer on the first, second, third, fifth, sixth, whatever. But if you've got to do 12, what are you going to do to keep these people engaged over 12 touches to try to convert them? You know, some combination of social media, mail, email, phone calls. I love to leave messages. If you, you get like, 15, 30 seconds to leave a mini commercial. If you plan it well, you can say something that might get their attention. So I think if you use all the different mediums to try to touch people over those 12 times, uh, you can get a really good result, but it has to be planned ahead of time because you can't do the speaking engagement, get back and go, oh no, what are we going to do? And then we haven't planned it and it takes time. And then three, four, five days go by, a week goes by. Those people have already forgotten you. You've, they've lost interest. So the first thing is to prepare ahead of time, have great messaging, all great ways to add value, use lots of different mediums and stay with those people. Yes, I've had people who, you know, after the 12th time, maybe it's been a year, whatever, they finally buy from me because I stayed with them. Right. And they know that I really care about them and I'm interested in them because of the things I say and the things I send to them. Right. I mean, I, I write about what I call value-based persistence. And, yeah. But value is a loaded word in sales and, right. and open to lots of different interpretations. So what is, what is value for you? In sales, what does value mean? Yeah, value to me yes. is when I can help you get what you want. So that's when I'm adding value, when I help you get what you want. So how are you doing that in a sales call? Or a follow-up email yeah, or so right. on? Yeah, right. How do you do that? You, again, you have to research. You have to get to know these people. Now, sometimes they're not giving you much of a chance to get to know them. So that's very hard to do. Mm -hmm. But you can suppose from their industry, their competitors, from other companies like theirs, what their challenges might be, what they might need. So if you can't find it out, you can kind of extrapolate from what's around you and give them little tidbits and see which one they bite on. So again, articles, not just articles that I've written. I use articles from many sales experts that I know and see if that catches their attention. Maybe a video, 
maybe a tip, maybe a message. So I try to think about what do they need? How are they trying to get their company to the next level? And again, if I can find out anything about them, how big they are, what they do, their culture, their, who their president is and what they, they think, you know, finding uh, messages from CEOs and presidents mm-hmm. on websites, all that kind of stuff helps me kind of know. And then realistically, most companies that are that size have similar issues. They're trying to hire and retain salespeople. They're trying to improve their salespeople's performance. They're trying to find more customers. They're trying to do less cold calling. They're trying to get more inbound. So all the things we've been talking about, they're all trying to do those things. So I will have a variety of messages on those types of things that teach them how to do something, hoping to get their attention with that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and saying, hey, if you want to talk about how to do this better at your company, be happy to get on the phone with you. Yeah, I think really the message for people that are listening to the show and I've talked about it before and it's something you know I'll talk about without getting up on my soapbox so I tend to on the subject is you know I call it never send a naked email and it's not talking about not sending a naked picture of yourself but never send an email that doesn't have an attachment or a link to some other information that will have value for the prospect to help them better understand either the problem they're trying to solve or better understand what could be the best solution for them to solve that problem. And it's so easy these days, given the plethora of information that's available online, as you said, whether it's an article or a PDF or a white uh, white paper or a case study or a video or a podcast or something that you can bring to their attention that helps them move at least one step forward in their process of their buyer's journey. Right, right. And, you, you know, there's so much great information out there that you can share and hopefully you're producing some of your own content as well, and you can blend all of that. And if if they're trying the things that you say, and if they say, wow, that sounds sensible and reasonable, some percentage of them are going to respond to that and take an appointment with you. But that's the other thing, too. You have to ask. So I'm real casual about it a lot of times. And I'm like, hey, if you want to get on the phone and discuss that, be happy to do that. Here's some availability for this week. Right. Oh, perfect. So we're going to take a short break. Stay with us as we come back with our guest, Alice Hyman, talk more about how to use prospecting business development to grow your small business. And we'll be right back. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a thousand companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. So welcome back. My guest today is Alice Hyman. You can check out Alice online at alicehymanheiman.com. And so I want to pose a scenario for you before we go forward. It's a question I ask all my guests. And you're a new sales manager hired into a company where sales have stalled or stagnated and upper management hired you because they really want you to turn the ship around really pretty quickly. So what are the two things you do the first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? Wow. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> well, you can't make changes unless you have buy-in. Mm-hmm. So for me, for any sales manager or anytime I go in to help manage and coach salespeople, I need to get buy-in first. And that means I have to understand. 
So I need to listen to them, understand them, hear what their challenges are. Now, I may not agree with what I hear. I may think very differently, but I want to listen, really genuinely show that I care and take all that information in before I start making rampant changes. Mm-hmm. Then the second thing I want to do is increase sales quickly. So I want to figure out for each of those salespeople, what would be the quickest way for them to increase their sales? So I'd have to meet with them one-on-one, see where they are, and figure out how to move stuff through their sales funnel with them, how to get some things closed. So I think those are the two main things I would, would coach a sales manager to do. Listen and learn with real intent, care about what you're hearing, and take that all in before you start making changes, and then get some sales generated right away, close some deals, move some stuff through the funnel. After that happens, now you've got people's trust. They see that you're trying to help them. They see that you're helping move things through the sales funnel. Now you can start to work on all of the other many things that might need to be done, like putting more strategy in or changing some things or letting people go. All of those other things can happen after that. When you build the trust and people know you care, you can get a lot done. Excellent. Okay. Good answer. So we're seeing the evolution of more specialized roles in sales, and, you know, especially with the evolution of, or not even evolution, sort of the almost tidal wave of inside sales positions that are being created with companies. You know, what's your perspective on that whole issue of specialized roles within sales? I like a lot of things about specialized roles. The main thing I like about it is we use everyone's talent in the best way. Many times, especially in smaller companies, we expect salespeople really to do everything, including their own marketing. And the problem with that is that people have strengths usually in certain areas, and that may not help them be strong in something else. So if I'm really good at going out and meeting people who I've never met before and generating leads that way, I may not be very good at sitting quietly and figuring out how to write a sales letter to use for marketing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So people's skill sets, you know, some people can do both, but most people can't do all the types of selling work because they're very different. Someone who can really work a trade show well may not be a good inside salesperson. They may not be the one who is good at managing the account. They may be the person who's good at going to get the account. And we've always known this in sales, but we ask a lot of our salespeople. And a lot of times we ask them to do things they're not very good at and then wonder why they're failing. So I like that about specializing. The thing I don't like about specializing is the communication. There's big gaps. People don't communicate. So if I'm the lead generator person, I'm very busy generating leads, but I never am given enough time to really transfer those leads properly to the person who's going to take them to the next level. So let's say my job is just qualify the leads and get them on the phone with another person who's going to uh, learn more and uh, work to close the deal. And then that person passes it off to an account manager who is going to take it. You know, now you've, you've made your purchase. Now I'm the one who's going to handle all of these things for you. Now, who's going to do the upselling? Back to which of those people. So there has to be communication on that team. So I like the segmentation as long as there is a team approach and lots of good communication about 
who these people are. Because if I'm the one who did all the research and then got them on the phone and got the appointment, I've got a lot of valuable information that needs to be passed along, not just to the person who's going to close the deal, but also has to get to that account manager as well. But small businesses, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, it's that budget constraints are really an issue, right? So if you've got enough budget for two salespeople or three salespeople, how do you coach people to make that decision whether or not they should be specialized? Hey, I'm going to have one person of the three be the lead generator out on the phone, banging phone calls, trying to set up appointments for the other two, or do make all three, you know, complete lifecycle salespeople? Yeah, budget is a huge concern. And if you think about what, you know, what a small business can do, it always has to be phased in because you may have a sale going on one way right now and you want to change it to segment it better, right? So how do you even make the transition? I usually take a look at uh, how much profit, of course, is in that sale. I, I kind of back into it. You know, what's the revenue needed? How much profit is in that revenue? And how can we use that money to reorganize the sales team and make it still make sense? But there's so many things that need to change about the way we compensate salespeople. That's like a conversation for another day. <laughs> <laughs> well, what would you do to change? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I'm still kind of researching in a lot of ways. But I think that, you know, if you're trying to segment, commission structure doesn't necessarily work where you just have a base plus commission because now the segmentation is there. You're paying more people. You won't be able to afford to pay as much commission, but you have to get these people now to work as a team and, you know, really make the whole system work. So you've got to figure out other different ways to compensate them. And I mean, have you seen any of the particular other ways that worked? I'm starting to see some people do more of a um, base that's higher and more team bonuses and bonus on total sales so that people will work together. I also think another critical thing, especially with all the millennials coming into the marketplace, is that they want a fun place to work, a good place to work, a place that values them as an employee and appreciates them. And I think you can get a lot of mileage out of all of that, and it doesn't translate to cash necessarily. Such as? I mean, just so people have tactics that you've seen that have worked for working with millennials in the sales role? Yeah, I think some of the things that work, they like to work on a team. Mm -hmm. They like to be self-propelled. Uh, they like to set up their own goals and uh, strategies within their team, the way they're going to do it. Uh, they like to be appreciated verbally as well as uh, with awards and, you know, sometimes they like to be appreciated in front of others. So I think there's um, some specific things you can do, and most of it stems from asking them how they would like to do it, what matters to them and how what makes them feel appreciated. And so I think that that makes it unique to each team. So if you set up a team and you're going to have, you know, a go get appointments person, a close the deal person and an account management person, and that team's going to work together. They need to have some say in how they're going to work together, how their system is going to work and how they're going to get paid. Now that can make it tough, especially when you start talking about how you're going to get paid because the business owner in the end has to make those decisions. And of course has to uh, maintain profitability. But I think that these younger people want that input 
and they want to know that somebody's listening to them. And they also want to be able to come up with ideas and share them with you and try them and have some ability and flexibility to fail. Well, that didn't work, but we wanted to try it. And we did. It worked. It didn't work. On to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is a little bit different than the way we do things now. We don't want to really have any failure. <laughs> we right. want everybody to do it the right way. Maybe that's the one right way and make it work. But since people are unique and different, the one right way doesn't often really get us what we want in the end anyway. Excellent. Good. Well, we're going to move on to the last segment of our show, which is rapid fire questions. I know you've been eagerly anticipating this. <laughs> so one word answers will suffice or you can can elaborate as you wish. So first question, what's the most powerful sales tool in your arsenal? That I, gosh, I, I don't know the answer. I, I'm going to say my authenticity. I love it. And I, the reason I'm going to say that is because I really care about people and I think that's what draws them to me. And I really tell the truth to people and help them in a way that's best for them. And so I think that is maybe what makes me stand out, what draws people to me. So for me, it's my authenticity. Who's your sales role model? I have a lot of them. (laughs) Name one. Well, my dad certainly is a huge role model for Mm -hmm. me in the way that he always sold because he cares about people and he listens to people and he learns before he speaks. So I've always taken that approach. I've always been you know, very much about what can I do for you? What do you need? What's the best way for me to help you get what you want? So my dad is certainly a huge role model for me in that respect for selling. But I'm out there, you know, watching people like you, uh, Jill Conrath. um, Oh my gosh. I, you know, Jeffrey Gittimer, Mm -hmm. love watching him, love what he's doing. There's just, there's so many great people out there who are, are doing good things and helping people sell in a way that's comfortable for them. And those are the people I look up to. Okay. What's the one book that every salesperson should read? One book that every salesperson should read. I don't know. I, there's so many, I will, I guess I'll just, uh, the conceptual selling by Steve Hyman and Bob Miller. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sounds like a good one. It's a great one, and it will really help you understand how to ask good questions, listen, do a really great sales call. I read that book a long time ago. So do you have a favorite music you listen to to psych yourself up for a sales call? I have a Pandora station. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it is Latin jazz. Okay, perfect. And I listen to that. And then I have a... On my phone, I have a, a playlist called Upbeat, and it has um, some different songs on it, which honestly, I probably couldn't even tell you the names of, but I've collected them over time, and I call it My Happy Songs, and I will play those. Okay. I love it. So what's the first sales activity you do every day? Every day of mine starts differently. <laughs> so that's a hard question for me to answer, but when, it, when I... I guess I look at my sales funnel every day and see what, you know, where everything is in the funnel and what needs to be moved forward. And I, that's, that's my, how I gauge my sales activities for the day. All right. Last question for you. The one question you get asked most frequently by salespeople is. That is a tough one. I can't think of one question, but (laughs) (laughs) I get a lot of questions. What is the one question I get asked most often? How do I get people to call me back? It's a great question. And how do you how do you answer that? Add value. 
Love it. Perfect. People will call you back if you have something that they want or need. Exactly. So great answer to the question. Appreciate those. So I want to thank my guest today, Alice Hyman. Alice has a new book coming out in January. Alice, how can people find out more about you? They can go to alicehyman.com. They can follow me on Twitter at Alice Hyman. Please find me on LinkedIn as well. It's linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Alice Hyman. And you can even find me on Facebook as well. Right. And if you visit my website, andypaul.com, after the show, we'll have a page, have more information about how you can get hold of Alice. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your sales. And subscribing to this podcast is an easy way to do that. Make sure that you don't miss any of our conversations with top sales experts like our guest today, Alice Hyman, who share their experiences and wisdom about how to accelerate and amp up the growth of your business. So thank you for joining us. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com. Hey, sales strategists. At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales. We're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With Revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations, and after calls, we generate ready-to-send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at Revenue.io.